We're picking it up here at Daniel 7, 13, which is the verse I told you is the one that's been written, written about more than anything else in the book. Um, I don't know if we'll spend a lot of time on it. We maybe don't have to. Uh, I kept watching the night visions, and there in the clouds of heaven I saw one like a son of man coming. He came to the ancient of days, and he was brought before him. The first thing I want to point out about this is, do you remember Daniel's emotions about the other kingdoms in the earlier verses? They were terrifying. Were they human kingdoms? Well, but in the vision, did Daniel see them as human? No, they were monsters, right? They were animals that were not even like real animals. They, were, they had wings and extra heads and horns and doing things. And, and the only one that was close to human was the bear, right? And, and uh, Persia. And the rest of them, though, they were just, they were just wild and, and strange. And now what happens? Oh, it's a person. Son of man. Does he come up out of the sea? No, where does he come? In the clouds. Where do, so where is that coming from? Well, it's heaven. He's coming out of heaven. So here we have a person, like a son of man, coming out of heaven, and he's going to get dominion over everything. And he comes to the Ancient of Days, and he's brought before the Ancient of Days. And is he destroyed because he comes next to God's holiness? No, he gets to come all the way in. Who gets to do that? It's, yeah, it's Christ. Um, uh, there's no other way that he could do that. He, um, and, and so we also have in this human kingdoms take on all kinds of bizarre, unearthly aspects to them. Not what God's plan was. But Christ comes, and it's the way it should have been. There's a verse in Amos 9. I will restore David's fallen tent and build it as it used to be. This is the way things are supposed to be. So not only do we see here Christ, but we can also see something else. We can also see mankind as we should have been, as God planned for us to be. Man should have had this dominion. Because who did God give the dominion to in the beginning? Adam and Eve rule over this. And, and it, it all crashed, but it, that's the way it was supposed to be. It's been restored. But I want you in your mind as we continue to read to not be surprised if more than Christ is in this Son of Man image, which is going to bother us a little bit because we're sinful human beings and we're good Christians who like to put Christ first, right? Right? But let's read the chapter and see what happens. So, uh, I talked about this already. I'll read it though. In contrast to the four inhuman kingdoms, now the true ruler appears, who appears the way God intended humanity to be. He is the man, the son of man, the son of God. He is the ideal. He is Christ. To him was given, given uh, dominion, honor, and a kingdom, so three titles, and now three worshipers. All people, nations, and languages will worship him. So we've got that, which is kind of taking it out. Three is often a superlative, so everybody. 
And then his dominion is an eternal dominion that will not pass away. So about the dominion, it lasts forever and it won't stop. And his kingdom, this is a repetition, is one that will not be destroyed. So we see the kingdom from those two points of view. Kingdom usually reminds us that we have someone over us. Dominion is what a king thinks of as being under him. So seeing it from both points of view, and it's the same from both points of view, both perspectives. Verse 15. I, Daniel, my spirit, was distressed within my body, and the visions in my head disturbed me. I've got to say, in Aramaic, that's a really hard verse. Uh, it doesn't seem like it in English, does it? But uh, there is uh, a phrase there, bego nidna, which means in the middle of my sheath. What's a sheath? It's what your knife goes into. That's a sheath. Um, and so uh, 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 Daniel says, my sheath was inside of me and I was disturbed um, it's like everything inside of him uh, the, 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 his, his whole body was was shaking about this he was nervous he was troubled in his innards distressed do we have is it distressed and disturbed in the text yeah my spirit was distressed within my body yeah so uh, 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 so uh, 16. I approached one of those standing there. Who would be standing there in this scene of the Ancient of Days in the throne room? I think it's the angels who are standing around waiting on God, waiting to be sent on an errand. So he kind of goes over and asks an angel what's going on. And doesn't John do that also in Revelation? You know, I don't know what's going on, so I'm going to go and ask an angel. Pretty good thing to do. An angel at least isn't going to lie. So... I asked him for the truth about all this. So he spoke to me and made the meaning of these visions clear to me. So he asked the right guy, at least. These great beasts are four kings who will arise from the earth. Isn't that what we said? So at least we agree with our, our interpretation seems to fit what, with what we've said. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and they will possess the kingdom forever. Yes, forever and ever. Who is it he saw coming out of the heavens, out of the sky? The Son of Man, Jesus. Who does the angel say will receive the kingdom? The saints of the Most High. Yeah. So, and can we give this another, another term? It's Christ and his church. Yeah, it's Christ and his church. Um, and that's, that's who receives the kingdom. And there's nobody else in the kingdom. I mean, it's, we're, we're both ruled and rulers, but that's, it, that's, that's everybody. That accounts for everybody. 19. A uh, couple more details here about the fourth beast. Then I wanted to be certain about that fourth beast that was different from all the others. It was very frightening. Its teeth were iron. That's strength, isn't it? Um, its uh, claws were bronze, bronze. Bronze, unlike iron, doesn't bend. So it's really, really tough and, and fearsome. It devoured and crushed, and whatever was left, it trampled with its feet. So fearsome and devastating, rampaging. 
uh, through. Um, you got a, an, an English idiom here? Like a bull in a like a bull in a china bowl shop. Malaprop, sorry. Do you know about Mrs. Malaprop? Yes. She would change expressions, yeah. I also wanted to be certain about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up and about the three horns that fell to make room for it. And what is more, that horn had eyes and a mouth that was speaking boastful things. Its appearance was greater than that of the other horns that were with it. So um, we have ten horns that uh, seems to be... Oh, by the way, here's where sometimes I have a problem when, when the Reformed, when evangelicals uh, give their thoughts to the numbers that are in Scripture, and our people, because we listen to the radio, we get wrapped up and kind of misled by that. Do you remember the difference between seven of something and ten of something? Ten is complete, seven is holy. How many horns does it have? Ten. Is that a holy number of horns? No, it's a complete number of horns, though. Thoroughness. Lots and lots of power. Now, curiously to me, three of the horns are what? They fall, they get uprooted. What's 10 minus 3? 7. But did it have 7 or did it make it look like it had 7? So what is it doing? It's trying to make itself look holy. Does that make sense to you? But how do we immediately know that it's not holy? Because what is it that uproots the other three? Another horn. So it never does have seven. It tries to, but it can't do it because this head comes up. This other horn shoots up. And the one with the eyes and the boastful mouth and the mouth that says frightening things. So it, 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 its appearance and the, the, and the extra horn has an appearance that's greater than that, so that of the other horns. I don't know exactly what that means, but certainly it looks different and more resplendent. Um, if you think about the ancient kings of Rome, uh, you had the tyrants who lived before the Caesars, and then the Caesars who were there, and then the, the ones that followed the Caesars, and they all of them were, you know, had their own kind of glory, right? Or the, you had the consuls and proconsuls and so forth for a while, the triumvirate uh, uh, kings, those were replaced by others and so forth. So Rome went from kind of uh, one guy rule to a more democratic rule to let's have a system of checks and balances, which our American forefathers took on as our own system, kind of, and then other things. But then finally, what took over for the Roman Empire? Well, that, that, as we identify the Antichrist, I didn't, I didn't do slides because I didn't think we'd have time. But as we identify the Antichrist based on 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we have Antichrist... Uh, at work already in Paul's day, but something is holding it back. It will continue to work all through the whole history of the Christian church until the end of time. 
It will be led by someone who rises up from the midst of the Christian church. He will take the place of Christ. He will claim for himself miracles and the status of God. He will say that his word has equal footing with God's word. And what do you end up with all of this? We kind of end up with the office of the papacy being the Antichrist. That doesn't mean that every individual pope was the Antichrist, but the office of the papacy ends up being Antichrist in Scripture's own description of Antichrist. It might, might, might not match up with somebody else's description, but if it matches up with the Bible's description, I have to be content with that. And this thing, and certainly the papacy becomes more resplendent than all of the old Roman rulers because he's got fingers that go out into every government. And, and what, what world leader doesn't receive the Pope as, a, oh, I better, you know, as, a, as, a, as a, an individual who, you know, may, I must have to defer to the Pope about this or about that or, or whatever it is. And uh, that does happen. What was the problem back in when, um, was it Eisenhower? Or was it Truman? Who came first? So Eisenhower was second, right? Through the late 50s, early 60s? That's Eisenhower? What was the problem in the election after Eisenhower was done? What was the fear of the nation? Catholic president. Does that mean that, the gov- that America is going to be ruled by the Pope? Um, ever since then, that fear has not gone away. Because we have had the rise of what the newscasters call the evangelical or the evangelicals. Who are the evangelicals? Because the newscasters can't define who the evangelicals are, can they? Um, Ultimately, an evangelical is um, someone who calls themselves a Christian, but who is very probably going to fall under the doctrine of the Arminians. Do you know who the Arminians are? When you get to the difference between Catholic, Lutheran, and Protestant, The Arminians are that half of the Protestants who are basically not Presbyterians. Okay? Because the Presbyterians are the remnant of the Calvinists. And it was Calvinists and Arminians. That's that's what makes up most of the Protestants who are not Lutherans. I'm omitting people because I'm not taking into account the Eastern Orthodox and the Russians and others, and forgive me, and really kind of even the Anglicans. But that's a lot of American Protestants, Baptists, Methodists, um, Pentecostals, they have Arminian, Jacob Arminius is the guy's name, they have Arminian theology. And the Arminians, and you see it especially in the Methodists and the Baptists, but, and others as well, um, you see a, 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 an obsession that, with, with the idea that government must be Christian to be a, the right government, the godly government. And it's an obsession that's not expressed clearly in ads and even in the, in the preaching, but it's there in the doctrine 
that we must have a Christian in power over us, no matter what his theology is, no matter if he's a good Christian, a bad Christian, a, a noble Christian, an ethical Christian, or a terribly unethical Christian. As long as he's Christian, he has to be the one who's in power. And that's how the Arminians see the church as being essentially run by the government. How do we see the, the, the church? Separate. Separate from the state, and Christ is the head. And who makes pastors? The congregations call pastors. But there's this whole empowerment by the government, and that, the, that, that now that doesn't mean that occasionally um, that might not affect our voting and how what we want to have in power. But um, do you think that a Wisconsin Synod Lutheran would make a good president of the United States? How could he or she possibly maintain their fellowship principles the way that our government is set up? It would have to change radically, drastically, and it couldn't happen. The one time a Wells Lutheran got close to being in a higher level of government, what did she have to do? She had to change churches, right? And she got, I mean, she was getting attacked from all sides and, um, you know, it was just a mess. Um, we're not done with our verses yet. Let's, let's let that aside and keep going here. So ten horns. There, I told you I wouldn't tell you what the, what, what the opponents say and then I go off into a tangent. I'm sorry about that. Daniel, I kept watching. And that horn made war against the saints and prevailed over them. Remember the 30 years war? No, you don't, but that was in Luther's time. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was rendered in favor of the saints of the Most High, then the time came and the saints took possession of the kingdom. So eventually, God steps in. Um, so this is what he said to me. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will come on the earth. It will be different from all the kingdoms. It will devour the entire earth, trample it, smash it, most of you missed the animation, I'm sorry. I spent a lot of time on it, but it's, it's done with, so let's just leave it go. As for the ten horns, ten kings will arise from that kingdom, and another king will rise after them. He will be different from the previous ones, and he will humble three kings. Um, could Antichrist humble human leaders? Worldly leaders? Yeah. Maybe beginning in Italy, I don't know. Maybe including Germany. Maybe including the United States. Maybe a kingdom to come in the future. I don't know. Remember, Antichrist goes all, all the way to the end of the world. Does the United States go all the way to the end of the world? Pfft, I don't know. It doesn't make any difference. But we, we shouldn't necessarily superimpose our worldview onto Scripture but let scripture superimpose itself onto our worldview. 25. He, that is the Antichrist, will speak words against the Most High so that he will wear down the saints of the Most High. Oh, and yeah, you see that, don't you? So moreover, he has plans to change times and the law. So the saints will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Um, changing... Times and laws. Um, human laws and divine laws. What is 
Paul call him in 2 Thessalonians? The man of lawlessness. He changes stuff around. True of the papacy as well. Um, claiming worldly uh, authority as well as spiritual authority and so forth. Um, what about time times and half a time? Uh, well, there are three traditional scriptural views of time times and half a time. I'm okay with all of them. I'm only going to give you three orthodox views, okay? These are all quite possible views of time times and half a time. Number one, it could be the number of the Antichrist in its own way. Not the number of the beast from Revelation, but the number of the Antichrist. If seven, for example, is the number of the covenant or holiness, then three and a half is how many of seven? Half. It uh, could be a broken covenant. Okay. Um, a law that is only half kept. Law but no gospel, that kind of thing. Okay. So three and a half might symbolize a broken covenant. Can I go on to number two? Okay, number two. It could be the number of what I'll call universality. You don't have to spend much time on this, but if three and a half is, after all, less than four, that's my kind of math. Yay! Um, if four is a number that represents the world, three and a half represents less than the world. So Antichrist nearly dominates the world. You know, that kind of thing. That's a, that's a valid view of this time times and half a time thing. That Antichrist could still keep going. Last one, the progression of the Antichrist's power. Each one could mean a separate, instead of a math problem, it's a, it's a history lesson. So there's one long time, that's the time. Then twice that long, his oppression seems as if it'll never end. And then half a time, it's suddenly cut short in the end. So time, then times, then half a time. So time for a while, maybe the beginning of the New Testament period, and then, wow, twice that long. If you think about the Middle Ages, the rise of the, you know, and, and then into the present time and so forth. But then at the end, suddenly cut short half a time. That's, there's gospel there, isn't there? So it could be. I just want to say whichever is correct, whether it's um, the, the, the less than seven, less than holiness, or less than four, not quite the whole world, or this progression of his power, whichever is correct, um, uh, the, his dominion will come to an end. And that's the assurance that, um, as Jeske says, the heavenly interpreter gave Daniel in the closing verses of this chapter, especially the next verse. So they all fit. So 26 to 28, just a couple verses here at the end. Um, and think about the gospel comfort in this passage. Then the court will be seated and the horn's dominion will be taken away in order to destroy it and wipe it out forever. How much of that is gospel? All of it. All of it. Yeah. Not very happy for the horn, right, for the Antichrist, but it's happy for us. So the court is seated, the dominion's taken away, and it's destroyed. It's wiped out forever. Um, so like our sins, wiped out forever. No trace of it. 27. But the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the, of the kingdoms under all the heavens will be given to the people, to the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and all dominions will worship and obey him. 
And I have in your notes that in, in ancient times and in not so ancient times, there were things called under kings and over kings. So there were kings who were under other kings. Um, there is a story in Britain of a king who was, uh, I think he was rowed across the sea in a ship and everybody on an oar was a king. So he was, you know, he was like the over king and they were the under kings and so forth. Um, and so when we see these things and see ourselves as the people of God and what God has in mind for us and the kinds of blessings you have in store for you in heaven, not just a beautiful bed and apartment suite complex with you and your honey and with a mint on the pillow and, the, and, a, and, a, and, the, and a brand new Bible at the bedstead, but a throne. You and I aren't expecting that, are we? You and I might even say, I'm not comfortable with that. You know, we like to say, I'd rather be the doorkeeper than have a throne. And God says, come and take your seat. Are we unworthy? In ourselves, yes. But what covers us? Jesus. Are we unworthy? No, we have Jesus' worthiness. Yeah, so what God tells me to do in heaven... I will do in heaven. Even if I think here on earth, no, I'm not doing that. When I get there, I have to say yes. Yes, Lord. Last verse. This is the one I said we had to get to. This was the end of the matter. I, Daniel, my thoughts troubled me greatly. My appearance changed and my face became pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Does that sound familiar? Belshazzar. It's, it's, it's the same king. And what happens? Um, Daniel says, my thoughts troubled me, my appearance changed, my face became pale. In, that's the first year of King Belshazzar. But earlier in the book, in the last night of King Belshazzar's life, the king's appearance changed, his face grew pale, his thoughts troubled him. And I kind of wonder about this if Daniel said, you know, what happened to me happened to the king. But it happened to me with this gospel message. It happened to the king with this law message. Uh, so, but it's kind of curious that Daniel uses the same language with this king. Uh, not a very long reign, but the, like, the first day we get this and the last day we get that. But just a really interesting little cool thing that I dug up in the, in, in the book I thought I would share with you about King Belshazzar's beginning and end. It's strange, though, to, to end with a beginning, right, rather than to begin with the ending. Well, but, and, uh, however I should have said that. Um, but that is uh, all for today. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.